When I first read today's reading, that my initial reaction was, what on earth am I going to tell these guys? To, you know, what am I going to put in the sermon to give you something new? I mean, it all just seemed to be such a very similar pattern to whatever happened everywhere else that Paul went. First of all, he arrives in a new place. Then he goes and he preaches first to the Jews and the Jews ultimately reject him. So then he directs his efforts towards the Gentiles and then he faces some opposition and then he moves on. So it was a very similar pattern in Corinth to any other place, except for the fact that the attempted attack against Paul and Christianity was thwarted. And that caused me to actually then ask myself the question, well, when is an attack not an attack? Because Jesus came in a vision to Paul and he told Paul, look, you're not going to face an attack. But when I see what happened and he gets hauled before the authorities, to me that looked very much like an attack. So when is an attack not an attack? And and the answer I came to is, well, when that attack has no traction, when when it's just dead in the water. Because this was an attack that the devil was wanting to throw at him. But And sometimes God lets us actually endures, lets us endure an attack. But this isn't one of those times. This is one of those times where the Lord just headed it off and, and, and just that attack just had no traction. It was just dead in the water. And I guess what I realised as I looked more and more at this passage is this Paul's time in Corinth was the Lord's way of strengthening and encouraging him. Paul had been run out of so many towns and at the last place, Athens, the educated elite had mocked him. And he needed a bit of a break, not a break from preaching the gospel, but a break from the, the constant rejection and the constant persecution and the, and the constant arguing and bickering that he always had to put up with um, that he'd endured in just about every other place that he'd ever been in. So let me set the scene for you. We hear a little bit about Corinth in the Bible because there's two, two letters being written to the church at Corinth. But Corinth was a massive city. It was the third largest city in the whole Roman Empire. The only places that were any bigger was Rome itself and Alexandria in northern Egypt with a population of almost 200,000 people. Corinth was a massive city for its day. But it was also an extremely immoral city. Corinth was the centre for worship for, for for Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love. And its temple had a thousand sacred prostitutes. Now, so if you wanted to worship that God, you would go to that temple and spend time with one of those prostitutes. What, what a horrible, awful, immoral city it must have been. So you'd think that what, what Paul preached in, in such a situation would be pretty prominent in the reading, but it's not. We, we really hear very little about what he actually preached there. I believe the key to the reading is verses 9 and 10, which say, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Why do you think Jesus said that to Paul? Do you know something that I've seen not only in the Bible but also from experience as well is when the Lord says do not be afraid, he usually says it because we are afraid. 
Has anyone ever experienced that? Where they can just really feel the Lord saying, do not be afraid. We open up our Bibles and there it just jumps out at us off the pages and says, don't be afraid. Why is God telling us that? Because we are afraid. And Paul was afraid. We know this because when Paul later wrote to that very same church in Corinth, when he wrote his first letter to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, he tells us that. He says, when I was, he says, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Now, I don't know about you, but usually when I think about Paul, I think of this, I picture this man with no fear. I picture a man with no weaknesses, a man who would just stand up and preach the gospel of Christ and blow the consequences. I picture this bloke who every time he gets thrown out of a city, he just picks himself up, dusts the dust off and, and maybe wipes the blood off and, and away he goes on to the next place. It just seems as if it's not affecting him. But Paul was not superhuman. And I believe Paul's time in Corinth was God's time of restoring Paul. And I say this because there's a few notable differences between what happened in Corinth and what happened in other places. Firstly, he met up with Aquila and Priscilla. They shared the same trade as Paul. They were tent makers. And it appears that they were already Christians, people who had been run out of Rome themselves. And so Paul teams up with them and he becomes partners with them in ministry. And what an encouragement that must have been for Paul. He'd been... rejected out of so many places and he arrives in this place, he's all alone, he's discouraged and the Lord teams him up with a team and he has partners in ministry. And, and if you ever feel discouraged and alone, you don't need to be alone. You need to be praying for other Christians who will become partners with you in ministry. And seek them out. Don't just pray for them, seek them out. Because there might be somebody else in that place praying, Lord, I need to have somebody I can, I can share this walk with you with. I need to have somebody, I, I can't just be in ministry just myself. I, I need someone to partner with. And you might be the answer to that person's prayers. It might not only be you who's looking for a partner in ministry. You do realise we're all in ministry, hey, I've said that often enough, You've gotten that, that's gotten through by now, we're all in ministry, I'm not, not just talking about ministers or pastors or Sunday school teachers, we, we are all in ministry. And the Lord provided a partnership there, a team, Priscilla and Aquila. Secondly, as the synagogue doors closed, which they did so often to Paul, the difference was, Another door opened up right next door to the synagogue. So he just sort of shifted across one building. Thirdly, although most of the Jews rejected the gospel, a very prominent Jew indeed, the synagogue ruler no less, and his whole family believed. What an encouragement that must have been for him. And fourthly, of course, the greatest encouragement for him was the vision that he had from the Lord. And he said, do not be afraid. But go on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Now, what an encouragement that must have been for him. And and it was certainly proved to be true, because the Jews actually did bring him before the authorities, and the authorities found no fault in him, 
And so their attack had no traction and it just failed. So this was a real time of encouragement for Paul and he needed it because he wasn't superhuman. And sometimes we get down on ourselves because we think, oh, there's just so much pressure here at the moment and, and, and we feel the pressures building and the burden getting heavier and heavier. And we sort of think, what's wrong with me? Well, you do know that Jesus used to take time out as well. He'd just take time out away from the crowds. The crowds invariably always followed him. But here we're seeing as well Paul needing a time out. Because he wasn't superhuman. I'm not superhuman either, and neither are you. And the more times that I read this passage, the more I found it resonating with me. And maybe you might find it resonates with you too. Okay, so he teams up with Aquila and his wife Priscilla. And the first lesson for us today is being a Christian and engaging in Christian service and evangelism is extremely difficult without the support of other Christians. People who will gather with you and pray for you and strengthen you and encourage you as you obediently follow God. Any ministry needs to have that kind of support base. When we first began Bush Disciples, God didn't give us any specific direction about which towns to begin in. And so for a start, we tried to make a go of it in all of the little towns and all of the little localities where there was very little and in some places absolutely no Christian support. And then after six months of that, it was beginning to be obvious where God was at work, but we could also see the places where there was very little response to the call of God at all. Now, we'd initially tried to stay out of the major centre of St George because, well, there was already a number of churches in St George. Why would we want to start another one in St George? But it soon became very obvious that St George was one of the places where God was growing the ministry. And if that's where God was at work, we had to adjust what we were doing and get, it, get in line with what God was doing. Because obviously God wanted us here for a reason. If this is where the church was growing... This must be where God wanted us to be ministering. Now, I've got to tell you, though, when we first began regular services in St George, I personally copped a lot of flack from a few other Christians of other churches who were very much against what we were doing. And then it died down after a while, and I don't know why, but I seem to now be hearing these same comments getting thrown again around now recently. Um, questions like, why is Bush Disciples meeting in St George? What wasn't the vision for it just to stay out in the little towns? Um, I don't know why those comments are starting to come again, but I am hearing them again. Well, as I said, God didn't actually tell us where to start. And so we gave it a go with our base of operations, not in any big town. But God had other ideas. God had other ideas. I guess this is something that I've, I've always had come to realise. We can have our own plans, but the Lord always knows better. And my plans was, okay, well, we'll try and stay out of town, but we'll go out where there's very little or no Christian support and we'll make, try and give it a go there. But the Lord knows how tough it is to be in ministry where there, very, where there is very little support. 
And the Lord knew that Bush Disciples Church needed a base of Christians who would gather together and um, every week and even more often than that with Bible studies to strengthen and encourage one another and to worship together. I need my Christian brothers and sisters. And you need your Christian brothers and sisters. We, we need to have this tight relationship with one another. We need to be encouraging one another. We need to be meeting together and, and encouraging one another. We're in it together. Yeah, I'm seeing a few noddings of heads. We can't be on our own. The second lesson is about support for, min- for ministry. And in particular, financial support for ministry. Have you ever heard of the term a tent-making ministry? A few blank looks. Okay, there's a term used which is called a tent-making ministry. Now, it's not somebody who makes tents to donate to natural disaster recovery causes. In fact, most tent-making ministries have absolutely nothing to do with the making of tents. The term actually comes from today's reading. A tent-making ministry is a name that we're given to to somebody who works part-time in secular employment to help fund and support themselves in the ministry that God has called them to. to. And we get that term because that's what Paul did. Paul was a tent-maker by trade, and so he spent some of his time making tents. When he arrived in Corinth, that's what he did. He preached part-time and he made tents part-time. And that's why we call it a tent-making ministry. And that's pretty much the ministry that I've been involved in at the moment. I work a couple of days a week to try and help support us in the ministry that God has called me to. Now, here's something that I wouldn't have noticed except for the fact that over the last few years, a couple of years, few years, how long have we been? Oh, now, I don't know. Um, I've been involved in a tent-making ministry myself. I suspect that this time of making tents for Paul was more than just a financial necessity. I believe it was part of the time out that Paul needed. I don't know if you realise it or not, but but ministers, full-time preachers or evangelists, they sometimes need a break. When we first began Bush Disciples, I'm not going to try and hide it from you, it was a tough time. It was really tough. And the Lord very clearly commanded us to leave a particular denomination. And that break resulted, even though we tried really hard on both sides for it not to do this, it did result in a lot of friction and hurt with a few people. And as I said before, we copped a fair bit of flack. And at that time, um, I was actually pretty broken. And, um, and I needed a time out. And I remember Justin came and shared with me a bit of a vision that he'd had. It was a dream, I forget, about a footy game, which meant nothing to me because I don't play footy. <laughs> but he, showed, he said that the Lord had showed him that there's a player who was injured and needed time out. And... Um, for me, I actually found that that time of tent-making ministry, which for me meant manual work, driving trim roads trucks, um, and since then doing other, other machinery operation and manual work, it was something that was very therapeutic for me. Um, 
It was something that I very much needed at the time to, to de-stress, to get back to my roots and work with my hands and work with machinery. Now, I had to do it because financially you try planting a, a, a new church, particularly out in the bush without some very big financial backers. But in hindsight, I can also see that this was God's way of giving me a break. And maybe, as I read this reading, I could see, just from my personal experience, I could see that this was probably God's way of giving Paul a break. Do you think it was just because it was out of financial necessity that Paul did that? Of course not. The Lord can provide finances for whatever ministry he calls people to. But Paul, I believe, needed to go back to working with his hands for a while. Now, some people have a theory that all ministries should be tent-making ministries because that's what Paul did. And they reckon all ministries, all ministers should work a real job to pay for their hobby of preaching. But what these people fail to realise is Paul's primary call was actually to the full-time preaching of the gospel. That was indeed Paul's primary call. Yes, there were small periods of tent making um, when the need was there, but Paul's primary call was to full-time ministry. The NIV says in verse 5, when Silas and Timothy came, now let me set the scene here, um, Paul had left Silas and Timothy back in Macedonia. Right? They, he'd been chucked out of town, there was more work to be done there, so he left Silas and Timothy there, and then Paul went on to um, uh, Athens, and then he left Athens and he came to Corinth. So Silas and Timothy finally catch up from Macedonia, and we're told that when that happened, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was a Christ. Right? So when his mates turned up, he stopped making tents and he began full-time ministry. Now that causes one to ask, how was, he, how was Paul supported? If he was supporting himself before by making tents, how was he being supported now? Well, we get the answer to that in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. It's really great preaching about what happened in Corinth because we've got all this information coming from the other letters that he's written to the church at Corinth. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he's actually talking about to them about how they had actually shirked their responsibility of, of financially supporting him in the ministry. He says, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied by need, my need. All right? so, so when Timothy and Silas came from Macedonia, they brought with them an offering from that church at Macedonia, a gift to support Paul in his ministry. And so at that point, the tent-making ministry finished and Paul went back to full-time ministry. But it's a bit hard to get away from the, 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 the implied um, chastisement of the people, I guess. When he says, I robbed other churches so that I could preach to you, with you guys for free, he's really saying, your responsibility should have been supporting me in ministry. Okay, so his tent-making ministry went for a little while, but then when the others arrived, they brought with them a gift. I just wanted to share with you something that I've been feeling for a few months now. 
I've been feeling that maybe it's time for me to go back to a more full-time ministry to reduce my secular workload so that I can concentrate more on the ministry that God called me to. Looking back, I remember when I very first candidated for the ministry, I was an instructor at the Ag College at Dolby. But I, I just knew that the Lord was just calling me to more and more and more and I was just getting more and more involved and preaching in more and more places and, and it really came to the point that I know God's calling me to be doing more but my job's really getting in the way. And that was the point at which I knew that God was calling me to full-time ministry and that I was to put aside my work and go off to Bible college and go into the full-time ministry. Now, I suspect I've been a bit like Paul. I needed a time out from that full-time ministry by doing a tent-making ministry. But now I'm starting to feel that it's interfering with the ministry that God has called me to. Maybe it's time for me to be devoted to that ministry more so full-time. I know there's times like when it was wet and so on where I didn't, I just couldn't do any extra work and, and so I spent more time visiting and that's the time when I really felt the fruit of God happening, you know, when, when I had more time to visit people and so on. So what would we need for this to happen? Well, when Paul's mates turned up, they brought with them financial support from other churches. But I've got to tell you, I don't feel right about asking other churches to be supporting Bush Disciples unless we're pretty committed to it ourselves. Now please, I hope you never think of me as that preacher who's always asking for money. Um, in some churches you'll get, you'll get a message on tithing or giving almost every single Sunday just before the offering's taken up. We, you know we never do that here. In fact, we don't even pass the plate around to try and make anybody feel that they should be doing it. Um, all we've ever done, ever since we began, is we put a little box down there on the smoko table and if you feel the Lord is calling you to support the ministry of Bush Disciples, you can put your offering into that box or some people like to make a direct debit to the Bush Disciples bank account. There have been some significant gifts that's enabled us to do what we're doing. And I'd really like to thank those people who have been supporting us in this way. Before we began Bush Disciples, someone said to me, all we need really is ten people tithing 10% of their gross income and that'll support a full-time ministry. And that's true. Um, But we're really only about halfway there, halfway towards supporting a full-time ministry at the moment. Some people, as I said, have been giving some significant regular support, some financially, some in other ways. Um, Others have made Bush Disciples a portion of their regular tithe but we're only about halfway towards supporting a full-time ministry. As I said, I rarely ask for donations, but today I'm actually putting it out there because I actually believe that we need to be challenged with our giving. Um, It's not something that most of us do naturally. I know for me it's something, it's a discipline that I've had to put into my life that that I would give and give regularly to, to ministry. 
and I believe we need to be challenged, is the ministry of bush disciples something you value? Is it something that you can see that the need is greater than just a part-time commitment? And what I'm asking is if you could pray about it and if you're married, talk to your spouse about it and to consider as you're offering to the Lord, giving regularly and giving sacrificially to the ministry of bush disciples. Some of you, after you pray, you might decide... Well, no, we're actually going to drop what we are giving to bush disciples because we look, call, feel the Lord's calling us to give in other areas. And that's fine if the Lord is, is genuinely directing you to do that. But if you're not a regular giver, I'd really like to encourage you to begin giving, to begin giving regularly and to begin giving sacrificially. You'll hear tithing talked about a lot in a lot of churches Um, I want you to know tithing is an Old Testament principle. The New Testament principle is to give as you are able. Having said that, I personally have always found tithing, which is 10% of gross income, I've found that a very useful starting point. You may be able to give more than that. But I personally have always found that when I make supporting Christian ministry a priority of my budget, um, I've always been able to give at least that. And you might be surprised how much the Lord begins to bless you when you begin giving yourself away. So, that's the second point, supporting a full-time ministry. And I hope I haven't scared anyone off. Have I scared anyone off? I'm... You know I'm not that preacher, I hope, that always asking. It's just we do need to be challenged sometimes about giving. The third point I want to share from this reading, we're not actually going to talk about today. Um, My plan was to talk about it next week. We're still sorting out what we're going to do next week, by the way. Um, We were planning on all going out to Westmar, um, but there's not going to be many Westmar people there. There's going to be a lot of ways. So um, being a fifth Sunday, we would normally break and meet with other churches, but I, I'm just going to... I'll, I'll let you know by email and text message what, what we're going to do next week. But the third point, and we'll have it next time we meet, um, I want to talk about just verses 9 and 10, about fear. Because they say, do not be afraid... But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I'm with you. And I wanted to give you a bit of a heads up on that because I'm hoping that you guys will be able to give me some personal stories of, of when you've felt that the Lord's been t- asking you or telling you to share the gospel with someone or to invite somebody over for a meal or to go and visit someone or to invite somebody to church or to invite some kids to Sunday school. And you've sort of, there's something swelled inside of you, which you've later on realised is fear. And, oh, I don't really want to do that. And I'm, I'm hoping that some of you might have some stories about how the Lord has then been with you in those times of fear and you've been able to overcome those fears and you've been able to invite that person to church. You've been able to go and visit that person who is sick. You've been able to invite that person over for a meal and talk to them about Jesus. Um, I'm hoping some of you might have some stories like that. I'll send out an email and text during the week again to give you a reminder, but I'm hoping that we might 
have a few people who are willing to overcome another fear and stand up next Sunday and because the Lord is with them and to be able to share how the Lord actually has been with them in that. Um, so that's either next week or the next week after we'll sort that out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the strength that you give us to, to go on speaking and to say the things even that we feel uncomfortable speaking. And Lord, you know how me as a minister, I, 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 really, I really struggle preaching about giving and tithing and, and financial support. I just find that really hard to talk about. Sometimes I'd just rather go without than, than to bring it up. But Lord, I know that this is something that you wanted me to share and this is, as we see these things come up in the scriptures, it's, they're the times to talk about it. So Lord, I want to thank you for the strength that you do give to, to keep on preaching and keep on sharing from your word even when it's stuff that makes us uncomfortable. But Lord, I know that at this stage they're just words that have been said and planted. Lord, if anything is to come of this, it will be your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I just pray now that each of us, that we would just hand ourselves over to you, that we would open our hearts and our minds to you. And Lord God, I pray that you would do your work in us. Lord, that you would show us, Lord, what ministries you want us to support. Lord, where, where you want us to give and how to give sacrificially. Lord, it, this is something that always hurts and, and always challenges us. Because this really is giving away something that most of us value. Lord, I pray that your kingdom would grow in this place. Lord, I pray for the, the part that Bush Disciples plays in that and for us as a church together. And Lord, I look back to the first lesson of today's message that you call us all to be in partnership. And Lord, sometimes... We confess to you that we, we've, we've just tried to go it alone. I know sometimes I try to go it alone and that's not the way you've designed ministry generally. Lord, I pray that we would begin to see ourselves more and more as a team, not just, not just us individually, but us together as your church, as your body. And Lord, I pray for anyone here today who may feel a little alone in their ministry, feels out of their depth. And for those of us who, you know, we sometimes get the feeling that we should be, we should be inviting this person to church, we should be going to visit somebody, we should be doing this, but we just feel totally out of our depth when that happens. 
Lord, I pray that you would help us to get together with other partners in ministry and that, that each one of us would find someone who we can do it with together to support one another and strengthen one another. Lord, at this time I also want to thank you for the Bible study groups and the Sunday school classes. Lord, places where we can come together and be that support group for one another. I want to thank you for these times. And Lord, I just pray that you would grow your church, that you would build your kingdom here in this place. We've already prayed for the part that Bush Disciples plays in that, but Lord, we pray also for the Christian church. Lord, you are so much bigger than than denominations. And Lord, we pray for the Christian church in this town. Lord, for all of those places where the word of God is being preached today, for all of those places where there are people who are not afraid because they know that you are with them as the word of God is shared today. And Lord God, I pray that your kingdom would grow, not just in an individual congregation, but Lord, your kingdom, that the churches right across St George and District, Lord, that that they would grow. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.